I remember just thinking, um, I don't want to live anymore. When I was like, you know, 17, 18 is when I first started drinking. I remember I told my mom and dad for the last time, like, hey, I need help and I actually mean it this time. That's for those of you listening, whether you're a resident in the program, whether you're a family member, a current or a future supporter. But life today is good. When I was seeing it work in other people as well as myself, something just changed. I've got a little over five years of sobriety. This is the Hope Dealers Podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Hope Dealers Podcast. We are so excited to be here today. This is a, and I know I say this every time, but this is a super exciting episode today. We are joined by the one and only Grant Green. Grant, welcome. What's up? I'm really glad to be here, Sean. This is super cool that you've been doing this. Uh, I've been excited to get on here myself. Uh, very uh, fortunate to be here with you today. Awesome. So you're a fan of the show? Oh, 100%. Man, Grant has actually played a huge part in my story. Um, he was my program manager. My sponsor is my sponsor. Um, he also just straight up mentored me for quite a while. Grant, we've been through a lot together, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. It's uh, it's definitely been a ride um, getting to uh, work with you and uh, just to, you know, uh, like what I do, uh, you know, is just being able to see guys like you turn things around. Um, nothing on my part, seeing you just kind of surrender and allow God to work in your life. Um, you know, that's why uh, any of us on the program team do what we do. Absolutely. And, uh, a tremendous blessing. To see Absolutely. So we are here today to talk about your story, though, um, because Grant, as our regional program director, see, oversees every men's home and <laughs> hope is alive. Um, but there's a story that brings you to where you are today. So but before we get to that, why don't you just explain to our viewers kind of what that means as a regional program director? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very honored to be able to have a uh, seat at the table here at Hope is Alive. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I came in as a program manager um, and then uh, two homes, you know, typically here in Oklahoma City and then four homes uh, after a little bit. And then uh, they gave me a few other to look after and uh, manage a few program managers. And then, you know, <laughs> we're ended up here now to where I'm uh, working with all the program managers, uh, 15 homes, you know, five different states. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have a tremendous team uh, of guys that uh, are able to even on another level uh, lead those other program managers uh, with a level of senior program managers uh, we have. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not able to do uh, I, I can't be everywhere uh, <laughs> and manage everything. And so as much as you would like to. Oh, I know, I know yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, you know, I, I try to spend as much time at the homes as I can and you know, I'm excited to here soon with nights in November to get out to these markets again. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So you effectively are overseeing the people who are overseeing the residents. Is that sound, is that, I mean, it's probably a simplified way of putting it, but yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I try to stay, you know, and uh, ground myself and remember that I was a resident once too, and be around the residents as much as possible. Yeah. But yes, I, I work directly with the, the program managers, uh, okay. which then go out and uh, do life with uh, all the residents. That's awesome, brother. So a lot of traveling though, that's, that's gotta be fun. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I can't uh, complain there. You know, going from uh, the beach in North Carolina out to uh, Colorado Springs. Yes. Uh, seeing the mountains and then everywhere in between with Kansas City and Wichita, Dallas. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, you know. Yeah. It works for me as a, you know, I say single. I'm not married or have kids or anything. So it works right. out for me pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I, t I talked about this a few episodes ago uh, with Lauren and I think with Ethan as well, but I actually had the opportunity to go to North Carolina with Grant in uh, May mm -hmm. of 2022 for Inspiring Lunch. And yeah. uh, it's, you know, both of us be being around the program for three plus years, four plus for Grant. Um, we left that. It was a work trip. You know, we were out there to do events, but that ended up being just we made some of the best hope is alive memories in general, mm -hmm. just on that trip. Like we were there for work and we left, we're like, man, those are just <laughs> some of the best memories ever. Yeah. Uh, totally. You know, I talked to my team a lot about ministry moments yeah. and you know, those, those events are a lot of fun and you get to connect with staff on a deeper level. And, um, you know, it's a good excuse for me to get out there, ride and travel as well as your team as well. And, yeah. uh, to be able to be around those residents and to see the, the culture of hope is alive, like yeah. happening in all these other markets. And we just get to be a part of that out there too, with them and have fun. Heck yeah, man. Getting back to you, you know, um, you're, how much sobriety do you have? Uh, coming up on five years. Coming up on five years. That's amazing. My sobriety date is January 29th of 2018. Yeah. Did you ever think you'd have, like, you would get, have this much sobriety? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean. They always say no. I love it. He you said know, yes. Yes. You know, I, you know, when I, when I decided to get sober, it was like, you know, I'm very all or nothing. And so hopefully, you know, I don't ever have to, you know, go back out and experience any of that stuff again. But yeah, you know, I didn't, I don't plan on relapsing. You know, people would say, Hey, plan for relapse, right? Have this stuff right. in case no plan for me. It ain't going to happen. It's not an option. This Correct. is life or death for me. Yes. So good, man. I love that. It's not an option. I think I've talked to a couple of people about this, not just on the show, but um, just in general in my travels and everybody kind of gets to this point. I feel like, um, where, you know, let's say hope is alive. For instance, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I cannot imagine starting this whole thing over. And I think for me, it was about, I was about four months in and I remember getting that ship and being like, okay, this is clearly going to be really hard, but my gosh, I cannot imagine starting this thing over. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I love what you said, you know, like, of course I plan on having this much sobriety, you know, I'm not starting this thing over. <laughs> that's awesome, brother. Yeah. Um, so what was, you know, getting into your background a little bit, you know, what was your childhood like? Childhood. So, uh, I grew up in Edmond, which is just North of here in Oklahoma city. Um, a great place to grow. Yeah. Uh, sign you see when you go traveling there. Uh, <laughs> a is, local joke they, there. They have, they have a cop for like every three people in Edmond. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I have four older siblings, um, all of whom, which I looked up to uh, my entire childhood. Um, I love them. I love being around them, loved hanging out with them. Yeah. You know, I, I wanted to go everywhere they were going. I would cry and try and get my way to go hang out with my siblings, whatever they were doing. And being the youngest out of five, I would usually get my way. Sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then my parents, um, you know, uh, had very loving parents, um, grew up in a great neighborhood out there in Edmond and had a uh, a fun childhood, right? Like yeah. I did all the things, you know, uh, a kid would want to and need to do. 
Yeah. I mean, we, we say this all the time, just because we're in recovery does not mean that we had this, you know, horrendous childhood. Mm. Um, yeah. So if I met, you know, yeah, go I, ahead. I went and talked at a school I got kicked out of, uh, last week. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I brought up with them is like, Hey, I grew up in a really, I told them the neighborhood I grew up in, which is a really nice neighborhood. And, you know, I told them like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying it to tell you that like, uh, addiction, alcoholism can happen to anyone. Right. Does right? Not it doesn't discriminate. discriminate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I came from money. Okay. So what? Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and people just think like, oh, you know, people that, you know, become addicts and alcoholics. Right. It's typically those ones you see on the street or yeah. grow up in poverty, you know. No. Yeah. It can happen to anyone. Absolutely. That's such a true and also scary statement mm-hmm. um, because you're right. It really does not discriminate. Um, I remember in the beginning, the reason I had a hard time staying sober in the beginning, you know, years back was I didn't feel like I fit the mold for an alcoholic mm, or a drug addict. Right. And I remember talking to people and hearing about their background and their childhood. And I was like, well, I, I, I played sports growing <laughs> up and got, you know, Nintendo, Nintendo 64s for Christmas. Yeah. And, uh, my parents loved me. We did family vacations, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, but that, none of that matters mm-hmm. because it'll grab you. <laughs> Oh yeah, no, it was extremely difficult for me to admit I was an alcoholic. Yeah, it actually took some time because, you know, I have four four older siblings, which none of them suffer from a substance abuse problem. Right, and it's like you know I'm doing the numbers here in my head, right? Like, <laughs> why me? Why, right. why 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 am I the one with the problem? Right, I I can't have an addiction. Right, yeah. Look at these other four siblings. Right, like there's no chance that I'm an alcoholic. I just just like to drink. Yeah. And every, you know, the thing too, and we talk about this a lot on here with, especially, you know, us being drinkers, you know, you and I, um, alcohol is everywhere Yeah, and is so available and it is displayed as just this, you know, uh, socially acceptable beverage. It's on commercials. And why does everybody else get to drink and we don't? Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, uh, like I said, yeah, I love to drink. It's it, like you said, it's, it's everywhere. Um, you know, I, I, I have, you know, my siblings drink. I, I don't care. Yeah. Um, I have friends that I'll still hang around that drink. Um, I don't put myself in those situations today. Right. I don't typically, you know, if the, more of a party vibe, whatever you're trying to do, you know, is going on, you know, I know better. I, I don't put myself in that. Right. I don't right. want to be surrounded by that, but you know, at the same time, you know, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I know if, if I smell booze or, you know, if uh, the thought or idea ever comes into my head of, oh, maybe I can drink, right? mm-hmm. maybe I can just have a couple. Yeah. But on that part, you know, I never, I never get those thoughts, right? People think uh, they always talk about before they're going out, like, oh, I can just handle a couple. Right. I don't want a couple. No, if I'm going back, I don't know where that comes from. Like, like if I ever get the thoughts, like my thoughts are like, I'm going to drink so much. Yeah. I'm no drink so much that I'm not going to remember this. Oh thing. yeah. I'm going to move to St. Thomas, the Virgin islands. I can become a bartender. I have it all planned out. Right. Like, yeah. It's not just one. I don't think, you know, if I, if I ever did it, you would never see me again is how I think about it. But. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I love how you said, you know, oh, I'm just going to go out and have one or two. When I was drinking, and I know it was the same for you, I'm sure it's like, I didn't want one or two. Mm-hmm. What was the point of that? So 
while we're talking about drinking, how did you first get introduced to that? So I was, um, the first time I ever took a drink, I was on the back of a boat. Um, and you know how that is, uh, the lake, uh, it's a big drinking scene out there. It is. And, um, I was, uh, on the back of a boat with some buddies and, uh, someone had a beer and handed it to, there's like four of my buddies back there and it's a beer and, uh, I'm at the end. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they're like, Hey, you know, try this and I'll take a sip. <sighs> beer gets to me and I chug it. <laughs> All right. Like, you know, that's just what I that it felt like it was just intuitively. Yeah. That's instinctively. That's what uh, I knew to do. And, um, for whatever reason, right. I didn't think I was going to be an alcoholic or anything. It's just like, you see stuff on TV or whatever, or, you know, I, I had already known before that first beer was either passed to me that I wanted to do this thing to the max. Yes. Right. I wanted to be like, if I was going to be that party guy, right. I was going to be the best at it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I knew when that beer was handed to me, I knew exactly what to do. And I chugged that thing. And that's probably something that stayed with you. I like how you said, you know, I wanted to be the best at it. Um, I think a lot of us can relate to that out there. Those listening, you know, this is what I'm good at, mm-hmm. you know, and this is who I am after a while. That's how it right. feels. Um, we're going to take a quick, quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and can uh, hear about high school for Grand Cream. Uh, we'll see you in just a second. This episode of the Hope Dealers podcast has been brought to you by Finding Hope Support Groups. Finding Hope is a support group for loved ones of addicts. Through our meetings, you'll find education, inspiration, and a community of other loved ones who have been impacted by addiction. Finding Hope Support Groups currently has 40 meetings across the country. To find out more, visit findinghope.today. Now, Grant, at the beginning of our show, you talked about how you went to a school last week that you used to go to, Mm. um, that you used to attend, and you spoke at it. So that brings me to my next question. What was high school like? Oh, man. Um, So, yeah, I drank, smoked weed for the first time, like summer of eighth grade, going into high school. Um, High school, uh, so I got kicked out of the... Um, my freshman year of a private school that I had gone to for 12 years from pre-K until my freshman year in high school. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, at, at the same time, I wanted to get kicked out, right? Because at that point, after only drinking and smoking weed a few times, I was like, this is the life for me. Right. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't work too well at a private school with like 60 kids in a grade. Everyone knows your business. Yeah. I was like, I need to get out of here anyways. So it was a blessing you thought to get kicked out. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was like free. Um, but then I went to a, a public school, which I hated, um, did not fit in uh, as much as I tried to. And you know how that goes. High school trying to change everything about yourself and c- consistently, you know, kind of, um, be a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I put myself, uh, around basically the, the craziest party kids you could find. Right. Uh, once I went to this public school and second semester of my high school year, uh, I d- just decided I didn't want to do it anymore. Convinced my parents to let me homeschool myself. 
Wow. Uh, yes. Terrible idea. Don't ever let your kids homeschool themselves. Yeah. Uh, I tried, I I tried that parents. when I was a freshman, and my folks said no, so get on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was awesome. I loved it, obviously. Um, I, you know, I, for me, even high school and before that, I never liked school. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that I didn't like learning or being around people. Um, I, I just didn't like... Uh, Maybe it was more of an authority thing. Sure. Being told where to be and what to do. Yeah. Uh, didn't really sit well with me. Um, I didn't mind doing the work. Yeah. I just wanted to do it at, when I wanted to do it. Right. <laughs> um, Not at 8 a.m. every single day right. until this time. And then you've got to go to B lunch. And yeah. yeah. So homeschooling was great. That second semester of my sophomore year, um, I uh, started getting connected again. Uh, with some of the kids from uh, the private schools and um, partying as much as I could with them. And I found a couple guys that convinced me to go to Edmond North, mm. um, where I would end up graduating from, barely. <laughs> um, had 60 absences in my senior year. Wow. Um, but so partying, by the time I'm 17 and I'm at this school, you know, halfway through it, um, I'm drinking about every single day. Okay. So that that would continue on until I got sober. About 17 and 25. Just drinking every day. Yeah. I don't think I went a day without drinking. Yeah. Well, so after high school, what'd you do? Started, Just drink? Started selling weed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a uh, pretty common career choice for a lot of us. So I, I had been accepted to uh, a couple schools I wanted to go to, um, but my dad wasn't willing to pay for it, which... I'm glad he didn't <laughs> because uh, probably be, uh, more money I'd have to pay him back. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, I would have made it. I would have gotten kicked out. I would have gone to school. I would have made grades. Um, so, yeah, he definitely made a wise uh, business decision there, not paying for my school. Yeah. Um, so I decided to do a little uh, in-state, uh, uh, small little college here and um, work um, and sell weed. Mm. <laughs> uh, that didn't last very long. Fortunately, I didn't get in trouble. Um, did it for like six six months or so. Yeah, and so it's much of the same up until you're about twenty five, just drinking, selling weed. Mm-hmm. Um, what is it that finally, you know, puts you on a path to where you're like, okay, I've got to get this fixed? Um, the answer would be nothing. Well, right. because I mean, most people I'm sure you talk to an addiction and stuff are like, oh, you know, I hit my rock bottom. I, I just had to go back. I didn't want to quit drinking. Yeah. Um, I was intervened on mm. uh, when I was 25 at a Cracker Barrel. Uh, my dad, yeah, my dad had me meet him at a Cracker Barrel. I thought it was odd and uh, order breakfast and uh, breakfast hits the table. And as soon as the breakfast hits the table, so does this pamphlet out of nowhere about this treatment center, a rehab rehab. Uh, and I knew immediately, all right, what was going on? And, you know, I bucked up. I did not want to have anything to do with it. Um, and then my dad gave me the ultimatum of, you know, he was going to uh, pull this job away from me that he had given me for the last four years, unless I uh, decided to go to treatment. So let's back up just a minute. Mm-hmm. So what had Two questions. A, what was the job that you you had were doing for your dad? 
And then B, what was it that had led to him to this point? I mean, I, I know from talking to you offline that mm-hmm. you've got a few DUIs under your belt. So just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So back to high school, you know, I got my first DUI when I was 17. Okay. And wow. then, yeah, two weeks later, I got my second DUI. Two weeks later. Yes. I had two DUIs at the age of 17 within two weeks apart from each other. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, it was a rough time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but def- you didn't want to stop drinking. Oh no, I had no intention. I, I yeah. think I, you know, cooled off for a little bit to get, you know, the heat off my back for a while. Did what I needed to mm-hmm. uh, community. service. they hit me with like 150 hours of community service and some other stuff. Sheesh. Um, it was a lot, uh, so, you know, I kind of switched to, that's when I really switched to weed more because I could, a little more manageable. A little so more control thought, over yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 17, two DUIs, 21, got my third DUI. Um, and then, uh, you know, so my, my job I had there with my dad, he had um, started his own company when I was um, 25. And... Uh, it's actually work I had done before for actually a couple of years. He had ran a separate business um, for uh, quite a while. Mm-hmm. And I had worked for him for a couple of years until uh, the, the, I got a drug test out of nowhere and failed for marijuana. Uh, the DUI, they didn't care so much. You know, they didn't really think too much. When I was 21, that DUI, I got that in a company drug. <laughs> yeah, they weren't, you know, didn't get fired over that. Got fired over failing for weed. Mm-hmm. Um you know, it's just a little bit wild thinking back on that, but yeah. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, uh, I had had some experience and when I was 20, uh, uh, sorry, rather I was 23 when I started working for him there. Um, he, uh, it's funny how it worked out cause I had working at, I had been working at a restaurant. I was making great money working at a restaurant and I gotten fired from there drinking on the job as we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it wasn't a day later. It's crazy how it worked. You know, God was looking after me then too. Um, but a day after that, he said, Hey, I, I, I'm doing this. I'd like for you to come work for me. Okay. Which is, like I said, wild how that worked out. Yeah. Um, I was actually selling makeup the next day. I had found a job. Mm. Um, you know, that's never been a problem with me. I, I, I like to. I needed money to support my habit, right? And I knew what I needed to do. And so um, sell makeup door to door after I got fired from that restaurant. He called me, go work for him. And um, uh, did that for a while um, until he moved away and kind of gave me more uh, reign over the uh, day-to-day operations. I became the president of the company, wow. um, which would turn into you know a lot more stress and responsibility which I wasn't too accustomed to. And, um, you know, I just, uh, every, every day, five o'clock, I'd always look forward to that bottle. Um, mm-hmm. you know, going upstairs where I lived at my office. Oh, that's never a good idea. Very dangerous for an alcoholic. Sure. I right? can never be late for work. You just walk downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> you're already there. I like how you said you were looking forward to five o'clock. So you didn't wake up and start drinking. Yeah, I wasn't a, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but yeah, you know, I, I didn't 
uh, the weed helped with that, right? I'd wake up and smoke weed pretty much every day, but I never, there was never a day, you know, I was sure that, you know, maybe a, a, a pretty wild weekend where I'd wake up and start drinking, but you know, during the week going to work, right. Yeah. I never really drank during the day. But. Yeah. But that's important to point out because there's a lot of people out there that'll say, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't wake up in the morning and start drinking. Mm -hmm. um, but like you said, you, you were looking forward to that at five o'clock every single day. Um, yeah. and that is not, <laughs> you don't have to wake up in the morning and start drinking to be uh, an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up because like we talked about earlier with being able to, uh, admit we're powerless. So I step right. one and, you know, knowing that we are an alcoholic, um, uh, it took me some while to, uh, figure that out because yeah, you, you know, you hear people, like you said, all the time talking about, Oh, you know, I'd wake up and hit the bottle first thing in the morning. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, I will say not to cut you off. That was me. Okay. Like, like I would wake up and hit the bottle first thing in the morning. Right. Um, so admitting I was an alcoholic wasn't really that difficult after a while, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I know you let me, let me say real quick too. Yeah. My life was heading in that direction. Correct. Right. I was very close there. There would probably be, you know, a couple of days here or there throughout the month where that was me. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, on the weekends or something, right. Um, when I knew I didn't have to be in front of my dad or something for work. Right. Yeah. Um, because I, I, because I knew that that job was, uh, supporting everything that I thought I needed, right. With the liquor, the women, all that, you know, the party life. Right. I knew if that was taken away from me, I wouldn't have you know that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good, man. I like how you're talking about having the good work ethic too, because I think a lot of us can relate to, well, I can always hold a job. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, you know, go, just like the, you know, just because you don't drink in the morning, you wait till five, you know, that is, there's all these little things that add up to make us feel like we don't have a problem. Well, I, mm. I always have a job. I can yeah. hold on a job. I got a good work ethic and I don't start drinking until five. Right. What we're not willing to see, however, is that all of this behavior is just so that we can feed that habit. Yeah, sure. You always have a job. How else are you going to pay for your stuff, for mm -hmm. your booze? And the only thing you look forward to every day is when the clock hits five <laughs> so you can start drinking. Um, yeah, it's a, not very many people talk about the, the phenomenon of craving, right? Like for me, you know, it, it, it didn't really hit me to admit I was an alcoholic until I started to relate with like, once I started drinking, something would happen. Mm -hmm. I can't stop. Right. Right. It's, it's, you know, I don't know how to explain it to someone who doesn't suffer from that, but you know, once I took that first drink, I knew my, my only thing going through my head was I need more. Right. I got to have more. I got to prepare to have more yes. in case this runs out. <laughs> and they like, it gets to the point where everything, like everything you do is based around the drinking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's, Hey, we're going to go out this weekend with a few friends. You're like, all right. Oh uh, yeah. Okay. And the first thing, you know, the wheels start turning or it's like, Hey, you know, you're talking to your mom just as an example for our listeners. It's like, Hey, I'm going to be in town next week and you know, your grandma's birthday. And you're like, all right, do I need to drink before? Probably need to drink beforehand. I right? said, yeah, is there a bar right next to her house? Yeah. Can yeah. Pop in there for a little bit. Yeah. I'll drive myself. That way I can have a fifth out in the car. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Everything's centered around my drinking mm -hmm. and you know, even whatever it was, I'd always find an excuse to support my drinking. Yes. Right. Like, Oh, thank God for Monday, Thursday, and Saturday and Sunday night football, right? It's an excuse <laughs> for me to get hammered with my buddies, yeah, right? And so it's like those other days of the week, I'm trying to find excuses where it's socially acceptable to get blackout drunk right. on a Tuesday night. Had a good day. May as well drink. <laughs> right. Had a bad day. 
May as yeah. well drink. Got a haircut. <laughs> May as well drink. Yeah. Yeah, it spins out of control pretty fast. So, okay, so you're at the Cracker Barrel. We're back to present yes. now. And breakfast hits the table along with a pamphlet for treatment. Mm-hmm. And you're bucking. You're not You're not feeling this. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, uh, you know, I told him, you know, uh, I don't have a problem. Right. I got it all under control. Mm-hmm. It's, it's fine. Right. Like, look at me, I'm able to do my job, whatever. At the same time, even before my fourth DUI, which that's what kind of, uh, set everything in motion here was, uh, my dad was actually, um, he's seeing a counselor and his counselor's like, Oh my God, your son has four DUIs. He needs help. Right. <laughs> but before that, no one had ever said anything. Right. right? Uh, it took four DUIs for, you know, uh, thankfully God had sent someone into the, my life like that, that said like, Hey man, that's, that's you know, you should probably take a look at things like, uh, you might be an alcoholic. Right. Uh, but like you said, no one had said anything yet mm-hmm. about you having four DUIs. So it's like, and I've met your dad he's an awesome guy, but in essence, there's people around you that are kind of co-signing this behavior. Sure by not doing anything about mm-hmm. it. And, and most people don't even know. Correct. Yeah. Right. Cause we're so good at hiding it. We're yeah. hiding all the bad things going on in our life for sure. Yeah. And that's one, th- one thing I want the loved ones to hear that are listening to this. Um, it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that is, you know, kind of going back to finding hope we talked about at the break, but, um, it's not, it's not your fault. <laughs> I think that is something that a lot of loved ones get caught up in is like, well, how did I not see it? How did I not know? It's like, well, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Not, not in that regard. Um, so, okay. So do you go to treatment? Like I said, uh, my dad gave me the ultimatum with the job thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, with He was going to pull that from me if I didn't go. And so at the time, my entire identity uh, was in that job. Yeah. My whole self-worth. Okay. Everything um, that I liked about myself was basically that job. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if I lose that, then who am I? Right. Then what? And so, yeah. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll go. And I looked my dad in the eyes and this counselor in the eyes, which I was very rude to, <laughs> um, I looked him in the eyes and, you know, I'm pointing, pointing my finger in their face and I say, Hey, you know, I'm going to go, but when I get out of there, I'm going to keep drinking. I'm not done yet. Mm. Not done yet. Mm-hmm. So you go and, you know, I could ask the standard question of like, you know, what was treatment like? But I guess <laughs> my big, my bigger question is, you know, when you get out of treatment, are you ready to go back to drinking? No. Um, so I had actually taken a couple passes while I was in treatment and mm-hmm. That was kind of the big decider there is like, you know, if I'm going to go back to drink and it's probably going to be on one of these passes and yeah, I didn't drink. I was like, okay, well, maybe I can do this. And, you know, I have to preface that with too is, you know, getting all those chemicals out of my body around 45 days sober is when I started to uh, be entertain the thought of staying sober again. Starting to feel pretty good. Yeah, I felt great. And, you know, being able to, uh, have a clear mind again. And we talk, if you ever, you know, talking recovery circles, it's the fog has been lifted yeah. kind of after those 45 days. And for me, that was the first time I felt the Holy spirit again, uh, for the first time since, you know, wow. I talk about my story since the eighth grade when wow. I started drinking and smoking weed. 
And, you know, I, I talk about it all the time. It's like we, we, we use those things and we live in our flesh so much, so thoroughly, right? We are constantly seeking out how to live in our flesh and that's addiction that we're, we're not able to invite the Holy Spirit in. Mm. And that's not to say that God wasn't in our lives or a part of our lives, but we, we lose that side of it, right? We lose yeah. being, having the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that was obviously damaging for an addict. And so when I received that again by staying sober, not by my choice, mm -hmm. right? Not <laughs> but, by choice. You know, um, received that again, uh, you know, that's, that gave me hope, right? Because um, that brought me back to a place um, before using drugs and alcohol that, you know, I, I started to remember life without it. And I started to remember, okay, maybe I can do life. I can do things without alcohol in my life. And that's the first time I started to entertain the thought of sobriety. Wow. I like that. Um, it's a, it's a hard place to get to, you know, entertaining a life without substance. Um, especially when we've let it define us for so long. Um, what are my friends going to think? Mm. Um, and there's also the feeling of, well, I've been able to do this for the last 45, 50 days, however long it's been, um, because I've been in a place where that's the whole mm. point of being. Sure. I'm in rehab. <laughs> um, oh, we're paying all this money. I can't Yeah. screw it up and drink. Yeah, and I love how you said that. That's something that a lot of... Uh, a lot of people will tell you is like, well, my dad was paying a thousand bucks a day or my dad or however much right. it is. Um, so of course I didn't drink, but again, you know, just not to simplify it too much, but it's like, okay, well I was able to not drink cause I was in a place where that's the whole point of it. But what do I do when I get home? Mm. Um, because like we talk about a lot, life is still going to happen. Yeah. The bad days, the good days. Thursday night football, uh, <laughs> all that stuff is still going to happen. So how do you get over that hurdle? Uh, it's a funny story. I went into treatment and, um, obviously I said my sobriety date was January 29th. Yeah. That's the week before the Super Bowl. <laughs> okay. And so I went into treatment while the Super Bowl was going on. I was so like out of it. I, I couldn't watch the game. Wow. And, uh, cause I didn't have alcohol. I was mm -hmm. like, it was driving, like, that's how, uh, <laughs> habitually ingrained it was in me. Like I couldn't even sit there and watch football, wow. not being able to drink. I had to just like walk outside and just hang out. Yeah. Um, what was your question again? Sorry. No. So my, I guess my question is, you know, when you get out of rehab, mm. um, how do you get over that hurdle that a lot of people come across, which is like, okay, what now? How do I go back to normal life? You know, you want to stay sober. You're, you're seeing the benefits. Right. But, um, as you know, I, I, I was very fortunate to have the support that I did. Yeah. Uh, from family and friends, mm -hmm. you know, um, we, we talk a lot about not going back to the same people, places and things. And, you know, I, I did for the most part, but uh, at the same time, I think, you know, I, I would still hang around some friends every now and then. Um, but they were so respectful. They were so supportive mm -hmm. um, as well as my family. And, um, you know, I couldn't have done it without that. Yeah. Right. And if I don't know what I would have done, Sean, if someone, one of my friends had said, like, hey, here, you know, just have a beer. Right. Right. Um, I don't know what I would have done. 
But fortunately I had friends that, you know, really loved me and still to this day and cared for me. And, um, you know, I thank God for that. I think, you know, and for my family and, uh, the people I had in my life. And, um, you know, I, uh, uh, I started to, you know, I think that's where a lot of it comes from is being able to get in kind of some reps, mm. right. Of being around life. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying purposely go put yourself around partying or whatever. <laughs> um, but being able to see yourself, um, be around people and whatever it may be, alcohol or whatever, don't put yourself around drugs. Um, yeah. but we were talking about it's everywhere, right. right With alcohol, right. you know, yeah. and kind of, you know, if, if you do have to be around it, being around people that support you, right. That aren't going to allow you to take a drink. Yes. Right. And, you know, after you do that a couple of times, it's like, okay, yeah, this thing, this thing ain't so bad. <laughs> I like how you said that, um, getting some reps in, um, as you know, uh, you know, I'm from Dallas and I think it was like the first two years of my sobriety. I was like, I even like two years in, I was like, I'm never going back to Dallas. I got nothing. Why would I go back to Dallas? But I got family there. That's where my brother lives. That's where my, you know, um, and I remember one of the first times going back there, was because a former friend of mine had passed away from drinking. She had died of cirrhosis of the liver. Mm. And I got together with a bunch of old friends. And (laughs) of course they're standing around drinking when I get there. And I haven't seen any of them since I've been sober. And uh, the first thing they said is they were like, Fitz, none of this beer is for you. (laughs) And I was like, okay, this is, I'll be fine. And it's like you said, you know, uh, Thank God to have people in your life that understand. Yeah. And, you know, it reminds me, it, it supports the fact of us not being able to admit we were an alcoholic too, because it, when people are supportive of you like that, it starts to remind you too, that like, okay, these people obviously knew I had a problem, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. These people know I had a problem. Yeah. They knew it too. And they're trying to help me. Yeah. Um, which is cool. It's reassuring, right? Absolutely. Yeah that, you know, we were living this delusional life thinking we had it all together, but right. you know, once you get sober and people start to support you, it's like, okay, yeah, I really was an alcoholic. Yeah, I was almost definitely an alcoholic and they knew it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So moving along, what brings you to hope is alive? Um, so being in treatment, you know, having, like I said, you know, getting God back in my life and then having people again in my life. And, you know, I started sharing vulnerably in there, super vulnerable. Like I said, you know, I'm very, I don't know, people call me intense. I do, I'm very all or nothing, right? Very much an addict and alcoholic. Yeah. Um, and so once I decided I was going to stay sober, it's like, okay, I'm all in. Like I said earlier, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to relapse. Right? That's not yeah. an option. Um, once I made that decision, uh, you know, I was sitting on the front row in treatment, taking notes, you mm. know, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to be the best at this. Right. Yeah. Um, that was my mentality. Mm-hmm. And, um, I started to consider the options of sober living. I was like, okay, I can't just go live in my upstairs office again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we saw how that worked out. Yeah. Time. <laughs> not going to work out, uh, if I want to stay sober. So I was like, I, I need to do something different. I, I should probably go into sober living. I was talking to my counselors about it in there. And my dad, um, starts to see how well I'm doing in there, you know, around 75, 80 days sober. And he's like, Hey, we want to help you get a house. We want to help you with a down payment. That would have been a terrible mistake. Sure. Fortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but I was like, 
Oh, for me, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, that sounds a lot better than going to living with 10 dudes. Yeah. Right? I can get my own house. Yeah, let's do that. And so, you know, my dad's sending me, like, listings of houses and stuff. Oh, yeah, I was, I convinced the staff there to let me have my laptop uh, <laughs> in the mornings. So that's a funny story, too. I, I, I told them, you know, I'm, the only way I'll go is, you know, I'm very very manipulative as we are in our addiction. I convinced sure. them to let me work for an hour a day while I was in there. Um, so I'd have my laptop until I didn't. Mm. They took it away because I started getting Amazon deliveries almost every single day. Oh my. <laughs> they were not too happy. Um, so you were that guy in treatment. Okay. Yeah. Um, got basketballs, sunflower seeds, you know, you name it. I was getting mm -hmm. delivered in there. It's like, okay, he can't. Like, yeah, take this done away. with the laptop thing. Um, so yeah, my dad was sending me listings and stuff and I was super pumped about getting a house. And then I remember it was a Monday before I, I think I was getting out on a Friday of treatment. Mm -hmm. So, um, a few days before I'm getting out, my dad calls me and he's like, Hey, um, I ran into this, uh, uh, lady, which she, her son was in hope is alive. I ran into this lady through some work stuff and she had mentioned her son's in recovery and I hope it's alive. And she invited me to this thing called inspiring lunch. Mm. So my dad goes to, uh, I was like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm getting a house. Yeah. Right. Hope you had fun at the lunch. <laughs> yeah. I'm still getting the house. Yeah. So he, he goes to this lunch, whatever. And he's like, I'll call you tomorrow. Calls me the next day. And, you know, I'll never forget, you know, he started, I, I picked up the phone and, uh, he started crying and I immediately felt the Holy spirit. And I, you know, I started crying too because one, I was fearful because I knew it was about to happen. Sure. Right. I was going to have to do something uncomfortable, mm -hmm. something I didn't want to do. Right. Like, like going to treatment. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, I knew, uh, it's what God wanted. Right. Because, um, I, I had not been living in my flesh anymore. I had been out of my will and living in God's will and doing things I knew I was supposed to be doing. And, um, you know, I, I knew that was God's will for my life. And, um, uh, but like I said, there's a lot of fear in there too. And, yeah. uh, he explained to me what happened. He'd shared someone that, that someone sitting at his table had shared their story, right? Like our residents do sharing their story at their table that saved my life. And so residents, if you're listening, like, don't think that your story doesn't have power because I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for a guy yes. that sat down at that table and shared his story. Yes. Okay. Um, doesn't matter what your story looks like. It, it's going to help save someone else's life. It saved my life. Yes. And so, um, you know, my dad heard his story and he just, he just told me, you know, it is like, it was like exactly like your story grant. And, um, you know, I just feel God pulling us there and it's like, okay, fine. You know, <laughs> that's what's going on in my head. Right. Yeah. Um, but I knew being at treatment, it was extremely uncomfortable for me. Right. Nobody, uh, you know, I was, I always kind of got things my way, the way I wanted, right. And going in there, you don't get things your way. You, want, you have to do a lot of stuff you don't want to do. Yeah. And so, but I, I'd seen the tremendous growth in my life by doing things I didn't want to do. Yes. And so I was like, okay. Um, because our way hasn't worked. <laughs> right. So maybe it's time to try it somebody else's way. Yes. And, you know, uh, a valuable lesson there too is like, you know, I told the guys I was in treatment with in there, like, ugh, you know, I was pissed. They're like they could visibly see it. They're like, what's wrong? It's like, uh, my dad wants me to go to sober living. Mm. 
which, you know, a week before I was like, that was my idea, right? I wanted to, right? And right. my dad told me not to. And now, you know, it's going back on this. Like, I'm trying to find every way I can to get out of it. And they're like, oh, maybe you should just go. And, you know, uh, it's like, yeah, fine, whatever. You're probably right. And so I decided to go, right? I decided to uh, go into uh, Hope is Alive. Hope uh, is Alive. April 29th, 2018. I'll never forget that day. That's hey, amazing. My dad picked me up. Um, pulled up to HQ headquarters. HQ, the original house. Mm-hmm. It's the house that Lance and five other guys started this thing in. That's amazing, man. That is so amazing. And today, look at you, close to five years of sobriety. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I never thought I'd be in the position I am today, mm-hmm. as far as like leading people in sobriety. You know, we, we talked about. Did you ever think you'd be sober? I was like, yeah, I thought that, but I never thought it would be leading other people right yeah doing what i am today it's incredible to see what god's allowed me to yeah uh, do in my life that's amazing brother well thank you so much for sharing your story with us grant um i hope everybody else out there got as much out of it as i did because like you said your story is your secret weapon Mm -hmm. um i know early on whenever i would go to treatment centers to share my story i would be upset if i didn't get like a a line of people coming up to ask me questions. Um, nowadays, if I go share my story, I'm okay if one person walks up. If right. One person got something out of it. Absolutely. Success. So, well, thank you so yeah. much again for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's an honor to be on here with the Hope Dealers podcast. Yes. And I'm sure we'll have you back uh, as this thing expands. Uh, for those of you listening, if this is your first time, be sure to subscribe, please. We're available on Apple and Spotify. Um, share this podcast with somebody who you think needs to hear it. That's the whole idea of the Hope Dealers podcast is sharing these stories. And yes, we will see you again next time. Thank you so much for joining us, Grant. This is the Hope Dealers podcast. A new place, a new home for a while. Let me feel alive. Nothing to hold me back. Take my time. Just enjoy the ride. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Hope Dealers Podcast. If you or someone you know needs to get in touch with Hope is Alive, or maybe you just want some more information, please visit hopeisalive.net or call 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. That's 1-844-3-HOPE-NOW. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel so alive.